oh my gosh thank you guys so much for tuning in to the first ever yes the first ever episode of foreign podcast now i will be your host i go by the name of jasmine ali and i am so excited to begin this journey with all of you and i say journey because this is going to be more than just a podcast more than just a young caribbean woman getting behind a mic and talking to you guys i absolutely intend to use this podcast as a medium as a platform that we use to collectively create a movement that will work to better the social political and economic state of the caribbean now that being said i want to take this time with you today to really introduce this cause. And I call this cause, the foreign movement. migration and the ways in which it impacts one's life, people tend to only think about the first generation of migrants. But what I'm more interested in is the youth of the second generation. They are the children of these migrants whose stories remain untold and whose global potential remains untapped. You see, the countries of the Caribbean have a collective population of about 35 million people. However, most Caribbeans have actually moved outside of the islands and live here in foreign. This means that second-generation youth are the largest rising demographic in the whole diaspora. Yet they're still practically invisible on the global scale. Also, if you don't know what foreign means, foreign is a Caribbean term that we use to address and refer to the countries in the global north. So that's England, it's Ireland, it's Canada, the U.S., etc. But when I say invisible, I don't mean physically or literally, of course. If you were to walk down the streets of Toronto alone, you would see so many second gens such as myself walking around and having a good time. What I mean when I say invisible is absent in presence, voice, and action. Second generation Caribbeans have very little representation in academic discourse. They also have little to no organized unity amongst themselves on behalf of the islands. So not only are they overlooked by scholars, they're also overlooked by one another. Second gens will literally interact with one another every single day, but they never really take the time to gather and discuss their experiences, nor do they aim to make a difference in their cultural homelands collectively. It's almost as though they hold within them a disconnect to the rest of the diaspora now I attribute this disconnect to their ambiguous social positioning. Second generation Caribbeans have an identity that is caught between the worlds of the global north and the global south. So when they're out of home day-to-day lives, they engage in the culture of the nation that they're living in. But when they step foot inside of their family homes, they return to their ethnic origins. For example, we go to class, we speak the utmost proper English, we come home and begin to speak Patois, Creole, and Spanish interchangeably with our families. And then we start rolling dumplings, frying plantain, and making some ackee and saltfish for tomorrow's breakfast. Like, in the forefront, it sounds kind of nice to be able to bounce between two different identities, but 
in the end, we kind of feel a little too cultured to be in the nation that we're living in, but also uncultured in relation to the lands that we're from. I know in my own home, my mother always loves to joke and say so much about how I can't speak Patois and how I sound like a dying duck when I try to speak it. But when I'm outside of my home, people ask me to not only speak Patois, but to perform my Caribbean accent. Now, even though my mom is full of banter, there is a lot of truth to what she's saying to me in the sense that I, as a second generation Caribbean, am much more assimilated than she is. This is especially where the disconnect comes in. Second gens feel like they're Caribbean, but not Caribbean enough. And I specifically use the term disconnected rather than disinterested because second gens take pride in being from the islands. In fact, I dare you to go down to Scarborough Town Center, ask if anyone's from Trinidad, and I promise you guys, Chinese will come running from every direction, wearing red, black, white, waving their flags, have speakers on their shoulders, playing some soca. Like, we are interested. We absolutely love our nations, but... What I have noticed is that second gens have a tendency of loving their nations insofar as there's a turn up. And yeah, we are definitely guilty of this, guys. Let's think of Caravana, for example. Caravana is a Caribbean carnival that happens every single year in Toronto. It has an attendance of over a million people, making it one of the largest carnivals that happen in North America. Now we all know we link up other second gens and head down to the lakeshore and bust a few wines. We never miss out on this every single August. Even when it comes to clubbing at any other time in the year. We choose the DJ that's going to play the best soca hits. Vibes Cartel comes on, we wild out. Alkaline, we make the whole place shake. But when it's time for us to link up in regard to addressing a critical issue regarding the Caribbean, we'll be there. You know, I don't think that second gens do this disappear because we don't care about the state of our islands. I think we do it because we don't feel Caribbean enough. We feel like we don't know enough about our islands to add anything productive to the conversation. So instead, we just kind of fade into the background. And to be honest, a lot of us don't know a lot about our heritage. It's kind of a con of growing up here in Farin. We listen to stories about our homelands from our parents and our family elders. But in school curriculum, at least here in Ontario, Canada, we don't even hear the word colonization until about grade 12. But I believe wholeheartedly that if we are able to cultivate our interest in our nations, beyond partying and educate our youth on their lineage, find a way to align our voices, the voices of second gen Caribbean people would become so powerful in discussion. So why us? Why is it so important that we speak up and are involved in the issues facing our nations? What makes us so special as second gens? Well, our power is in the very thing that gives us complexity in our identities. It's our ties to the global north and the global south. Although being stuck between these two worlds comes with a lack of sense of self, it's ultimately an identity that holds a lot of privilege. Now, when I say second gens have a significant role to play in the future development of the Caribbean, I don't say it to undermine the power of those currently living in the Caribbean, nor to embrace a savior complex. First gens have accomplished so much growth for the islands in the post-colonial era, which is an achievement that no one could ever take away from them or overlook. Not to mention first gens and their interaction with second gens would be a key component in this movement. Now, I acknowledge the potential of second gen specifically 
Because I believe that we should be observant and recognize that people who have the most influence over the politics and development of a nation tend to be those with the greatest capital and access to resources. That being said, the lack of those two crucial necessities are why people are emigrating from the islands in the masses, and why the voices of the ghetto youth, who are most marginalized by inequity, are silenced. If we look at Bob Marley, for example, we can see that his success, capital, and political influence all grew in synchronization with one another. His money bettered the quality of his music, which increased his fan base and allowed him to not only travel around the world promoting his music and message of egalitarianism, but also to spread his wealth among the Jamaican community. Not to mention, his influence was so great that he was specifically chosen to headline the One Love Pete's concert of 1978, where he got rival party leaders of the PNP and JLP to shake hands while politically motivated gang wars were overtaking the nation. Further, second gens have the privilege of being born in a land with larger opportunities and not having to go through the great obstacles of earning citizenship and rerouting their lives in a new nation. Second gens are also naturally born into connections in both the global north and the Caribbean. We don't have to claw our way to the top as hard because we're born having international networks of people surrounding us. Therefore, our access to resources and capital put second gens in a position that allows us to influence the masses. The most important thing to do when you have an identity that is privileged is to give all of that privilege away in the name of humanity. So what should second gens do to make this movement happen? Well, the first step is to link up as second gens, beyond clubs and beyond caravana. We need to have spaces, safe spaces, where we all can get together, have discussions. I think it's important that we align together first before we enter a group with first-generation Caribbeans, because I think that problem of us feeling uncultured or uneducated in relation to first generations could come up again. So I think we need to really combine as a force before we combine forces fully with the rest of the diaspora. Now, in regard to the forms of activism this movement should utilize, what I realize is that it's very dependent on one's own economic and physical ability. And I really want this movement to be accessible. This is a Caribbean movement, so people of all kinds, of all crops, should be able to participate. So here are a few ideas, a few suggestions that I have for as to how we can get this movement started and how we can start participating in this today, despite your background. Now, of course, there's basic protests and panels that we can conduct, but there's also things that are more accessible, such as sending emails to an MP. We could message them about the inhumane treatment of temporary labor laws here in Canada and Ontario and how Caribbean workers will come here from their countries and then be promised a chance at permanent residency and then be sent home afterwards. So we could message MPs and other members of parliaments and the government in relation to those. We can also, of course, do fundraisers and... A method that we know we all do every single day is resist assimilation. It is most definitely activism to stand up every day and speak in Patan places that you know some people will find it unacceptable. It's resistant to make sure that you learn all your family's recipes, make sure that your culture never dies, especially in nations that were specifically designed to assimilate us. 
But activism can also be as simple as educating ourselves. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of us don't know our heritage and have been deprived of that opportunity to really learn about our cultures. So it could be as simple as pulling open a textbook, reading those academic articles, pulling out a novel, one that's historic in the Caribbean, let's say, The Dragon Can't Dance, <laughs> things like that. There's things in which we can learn more about our culture. And by learning about our culture, we also get to define the bounds of the movement in the sense of we know what areas where second gents can really speak up in the areas that we are educated about and the areas where we're not so much educated about. And that's when we know to let the first gen speak. You understand? So... It's kind of almost like a balance between both generations that we really need to seek with this movement. But first, like I said, we have to start within the second gen circle. I believe that it is when second gens recognize their potential and get over this disconnected feeling from their own islands that they will begin to do right by the Caribbean. Now, I shouldn't even say that I believe this because I know this. Look at Afro-Caribbeans and the term black. We understand blackness and feel completely connected to the black experience. Because when we grow up in predominantly white countries, we create a community of people that share our complexion regardless of our different ethnic backgrounds. And all throughout Toronto, you'll see panels, movements, protests, meetings, etc. set up where black people can align and demand better treatment of their people. And guess what? We go. We absolutely attend and participate in these events. And why is this? Because we feel black enough. So let's feel Caribbean enough. Caribbeans of the second generation, our voice is so much needed. Because as I mentioned before, much of the Caribbean lives outside of the Caribbean. And us youth are the future. We'll be the ones working in parliament, working in public policy and immigration. And it's time that we take responsibility for the state of our islands and our people. So this brings me to my last segment, which is why should second generation youth care? Why should we even bother looking back at our homelands? And the answer is simple. I promise you, with every fiber of my being, that us Caribbean people are the only people who will ever care about the islands without the intent of appropriating the resources and exploiting their people. Now, in the words of the most radical and revolutionary academic to ever come out of the Caribbean, who goes by the name of France Fanon from Martinique, every generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. Second generation youth of the Caribbean, which one do you choose? I go by the name of Jasmine Ali, and I cannot wait to further this discussion with you in upcoming episodes. So much more is in store for this series as far as topics and guests. So until next time, welcome to the fire movement.